Our vision has been is that we pass on an obedient relationship with Christ to our community. We do that through making disciples, mobilizing missions, and multiplying churches. In our vision as we've come out of the retreat in complete unity as a staff, as a leadership, as an executive leadership team, is that we want to see in 2020 40% of our ministries to be geared towards the harvest field that will advance more of these outpost ministries and mature them towards church development. Right now, as a congregation, we think we're at about 15% of our ministries towards the harvest field, and we want to be that at 40%, and we think that's going to take us further. And our vision is squarely and totally a biblical vision. It is the vision, it is the picture that Jesus has for his church. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 16, as Jesus lays out his vision for the church, and we want that laid out for us and to follow what he said. Matthew 16, and we're going to be starting in verse 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. If you have your phone that you're using, go ahead and click on your app or whatever it is. And if you don't have either, we'll have the scriptures by way of the screen. Now as you're turning there, Jesus in Matthew 16 has about one year of ministry left. He's been in ministry about two years publicly. And right now he's at a pivotal transition, a pivotal change, where now he is going to announce his death. He is going to announce his Messiahship. And it says that he is focused on in a year going to Jerusalem and being crucified and being a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he takes his disciples to the darkest place that he possibly could in the nation of Israel. The place that is furthest from God. The place that has the most spiritual darkness. The place that is full of paganism. The place that would have just been to his disciples the hardest and most difficult place to be. And it is there that he is going to announce his Messiahship, his crucifixion. But even more so, he is going to introduce to them the concept of the church. And this is the very first time Jesus introduces into their mind the church. So we begin in verse 13. And it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, Now look right there, Caesarea Philippi. To the original readers, that would have looked like Sin City. That would have looked, I guess, kind of like Las Vegas to us, okay? Except far worse. Far worse. If we could have the map by way of the screen. Caesarea Philippi is right there to the north, the most northern part of the nation of Israel. It's at the base of a mountain called Mount Hermon. And from that mountain comes or begins to come the rivers Uh, from the Jordan River. For the last 200 years in that very section, as the Romans and the Greeks had dwelled there and as Israel had become uh, overrun by pagan influences and foreign nations, it became a center for paganism and idolatry. In fact, when you look at the name Caesarea Philippi, it was named 15 years before by the grandson of Herod the Great called Philip Herod. And Herod the Great was the guy who wanted to kill the babies two years and under in the town of of Bethlehem. 
And so this is his grandson who's now ruling, and he names the city after himself, which is Philippi, he is Herod Philip, and Caesar Augustus. So the very name itself has the idea of idolatry and paganism. If we could see the next picture by way of the screen, if you go to... Uh, do we have the other one before that with the niches that are stuck into the mountain? Thanks. If you go there to Caesarea Philippi today and you look on Mount Hermon, you'll see these little, it's called niches. And back then they dug those into the mountain and they put all kinds of pagan idols in there. And so when Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, they would have seen all of these pagan idols within carved within these areas in the mountain and one of the idols they worshipped was this god named Pan, where we even get the name Peter Pan. And it was like this half-goat, half-human uh, creature that was devoted to all of these sexual immoralities. And if I were to describe what they did around this pagan idol, it would take us into the realm of an R-rated sermon. So I don't want to do that. There's kind of a re- here's kind of a drawing of what it may have looked like when Jesus was there with his disciples. Caesarea was a place of darkness and it was devoted to paganism. And I've got to think, I've got to ask myself the question, if Jesus is at this pivotal moment and he's going to introduce in a most clear way his messiahship, his death for the sins of the world, and he's going to announce who the church is and talk about the church. Why here? Why does he go into such a place of darkness in order to do that? Remember when you were a kid? When we were kids, you, you, you like to, to mess with a flashlight. And you like to mess with a flashlight, you like to go into dark places. My, when I was a kid, my mom, I'd want to go, go camping, you know? And so when you're, you know, seven years old and you go camping, well, you go in your backyard. And, and what my mom would do is she'd put this, blank, put this blanket over the clothesline and pin it, you know, and put a blanket underneath. And, and we'd have our sleeping bags, and they're in our backyard. And, and me and my friends, we would go into that tent, you know, that my mom had created. And we'd, of course, have our flashlight. We felt like we were adventurers. We felt like we were on some secret mission or really cool as we were there with our comic books. Or you were a kid and you took your flashlight and what did you do? You wanted to, see, you know, you wanted to use it so you go into a closet, shut the door, and it's completely dark and you let that thing shine, right? And you know, when you have a flashlight, you don't use it when the day is completely bright and sunny because it does no good, does it? In the very nature of light, the very nature of even a flashlight or a, or a campfire is that it has an attraction, it has an effectiveness only when it goes into the places of darkness. And folks, Jesus is the light and he has given his light to us as the church. And so because of that, he is saying as he announces the church, you are the light, but light only makes sense if it disperses the darkness. Light only has its value as it penetrates the darkness. And folks, if we're not being the light in a world that is dark, then we don't understand the nature and purpose to that for which we are called. Amen? And folks, when you have the light, the light disperses darkness. It does not blame it. 
And when we look at the culture around us, and we're so upset about the decaying morals, the decaying values, and all those kind of things, yet we are not strategically and intensively being the light to disperse the darkness, we are the ones to blame. Because we are the ones who have been entrusted with the truth. And when Jesus announces the church, he does so in the places of the darkest areas of Israel because he says, I want you to be on mission to people who are far from me. Now he goes on, he's going to talk about the church. And as he talks about the church, he breaks it down into three practices which are at the core of our mission statement. Passing on an obedient relationship with Jesus to our community through making disciples, mobilizing missions, and multiplying churches. So if you already want to know what to fill in the blanks there, I just gave it to you right there. So the first thing Jesus is looking at these guys, the first thing he's communicating is make disciples. You want to be the church, make disciples. Picking up in verse 13, he asks his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now folks, get a load of this. This is the clearest declaration about Jesus so far made in the Gospels. You are the Messiah, the one promised in the Old Testament who would come and would heal a broken and fractured world. And you are the Son of God. You are God's Son sent from the Father with the very divine genes of divinity that He has to portray your Father. That is who you are. This is the clearest statement. But here's what's so interesting about it. Who makes the clearest statement about Jesus? Is it Jesus himself? No. The clearest statement about Jesus that is so far uttered is made by his disciple, Simon Peter. And I have to ask, why is that? Why didn't Jesus declare, I am the Messiah of the Son of God? Why did he have Peter to do that? Because Jesus is intent on making disciples. And so to put this in a more common expression, when you are making disciples, you are not giving people fish, you are teaching them to fish. When you are making disciples, you are not giving people love, you are teaching them to love. When you are making disciples, you are not telling people about Jesus, but you are telling people how to tell others about Jesus. And that makes all the difference in the world. And right now, Jesus is discipling Peter because Peter is going to be responsible to pass on an obedient relationship with Jesus to those who have yet to know him. And right there in the midst of this declaration, Jesus is discipling them because he is teaching others to tell others about Jesus. And so folks, if I'm discipling somebody, 
It's not me pouring out to them. And it just becomes a dam where it stops. And I just love them and they receive love from me. And it stops there. When I disciple them, I love them so that they too then love in such a way that they pass it on to other people. And that is how the Christianity has always spread dynamically throughout the world. And as we have been meeting weekly with a group of people in Richmond to disciple them, and we're going through the stories of Jesus that we call stories of hope, and we were planning this Love Your Community event. I looked at this one guy, Tommy, who you saw in the video, and I said, Tommy... When we're at this Love Your Community event, all this stuff you've been learning about Jesus, you need to tell it to them. He nearly had a heart attack. I said, Tommy, you need to tell them because I don't live in Richmond. I don't work in Richmond. I'm not a neighbor in Richmond. But you you live in Richmond. You work in Richmond. People know you. And because they know you, they need to hear you tell them about Jesus. And do you know that 90% of people come to faith in Jesus Christ because somebody they know, somebody they love, a family, a friend, or whatever, tells them about Jesus, not because a pastor who has a theological education and seems to know more than others tells them. Because they don't care what you know until they care how much you care. And so, Tommy, I'm there. We're at that Love Your Community event. Things are going well. I go to Tommy. I said, Tommy, when are you going to share with them? He says, well, when I finish eating my cake. He eats that cake. I said, well, Tommy, you get up. Let's get it going, man. Let's get it going. You need to share. So I walk away. I look over at him. Guess what he's doing? He's getting another piece of cake. (laughs) But he got up and shared. And everybody listened to him. Not because he's a better speaker than me. Not because he knows the Bible better than me. But because they know him and they respect him. And everybody in that room focused as he shared the story of the Good Samaritan. And as what was read to them and they all had... The, the, the printout handed out to them, they connected because they know Tommy. And when I disciple Tommy, I don't want to just tell Tommy about Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. But I want to tell Tommy how to tell others about Jesus. Amen? And that's what Jesus is doing right here. And that's why Peter is given the revelation so that as we say in our mission statement, to pass on an obedient relationship with Christ to our community. That leads to the second truth. We want to mobilize missions. Mobilize missions, picking up in verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, this rock of discipleship, Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. This is the rock. When we are discipling people who disciple others, on this basis, on this activity, on this solid ground, Jesus says what? I will build my church. All kinds of churches are wondering, what do we do? How do we grow? How do we go forward? And they try tricks and gimmicks and all kinds of programs to attract people to their church 
When Jesus says, no, our goal is not to have gimmicks and tricks to get people to come to our church, but rather to obey his command to make disciples. And when we obey his commands to make disciples, guess what Jesus promises to do? What does it say right here? I will build my church. We don't do that. Jesus does that. We disciple. Jesus builds the church. Now you look at this word church that Jesus uses in the Greek. It's the word ekklesia. Ek meaning out of. Klesia meaning called. And it's the called out ones. And this is such an unusual term that Jesus would have used for his followers in that day and age. It's a term that came from the secular Greek world. And it had the idea that that an ecclesia in the Greek culture is when the citizens of a city would come together and they would be called out together and together as citizens, all free and equal, all having a deliberative voice, all having a vote, all having an input. They would come together on behalf and for the good of the city and they would have community and they would make decisions and then they would make those decisions and then carry them out for the good of the community or the Greek state. And that is the word that Jesus uses here. It is the word ecclesia. And Jesus is saying, when I have a church, it is going to be people who are discipling people, and then they will come together like we do this morning in everybody place. Everybody has an important part. Everybody is a part of the deliberation. Everybody is a part of getting filled up. But then they will go out for the good and for the blessing of the community that they love. And so our mission statement is to pass on in obedient relationship with Christ to our community because that is what the church and that is what the ecclesia does. Everybody plays. And part of our vision is that more and more our church will be the church where you, as you feel the call and the leading of the Holy Spirit, will take ownership of the ministries that are going on here. And that you will play a vital part of building up the body and we send more and more people out to bless our community. Amen? I want to show you a little picture of what that looks like as we have another video of our baptism night with the youth group on Tuesday night. So if we can go ahead and play that, please. Tristan Blake Richardson. Tristan Blake Richardson. 
Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. that let's stand how about we stand and praise the Lord for that stand up amen you can be seated and that's really that was a really cool video wasn't it but you know what was really cool too did you notice who was doing the baptisms it wasn't me, it wasn't John, it wasn't Josh, the pastors of the church. It was other people who had never baptized before. And did you know that when Jesus gave his command to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it was not a command that was given to the clergy. It was a command that was given to the church that we can baptize and that we can disciple people and we can be integral to the part of the vision and the purpose of God and that it is not limited to just a few people who have a clergy license or an ordination. And that's good news, isn't it? Because the clergy isn't going to get the job done that we need to have done in the years to come in a darkening world. We need the whole body of Christ engaged. And so that is our vision. When we say 40% of our ministries involved into the harvest field, this is part of what it looks like. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, Jessica Alberti, who's the leader of our ministry prayer team that comes up and prays, at the end of the service, she came to me and said, I've got, you know, some ideas on how we can advance prayer. I said, love to hear those. And, and Jessica said to me, she says, what if some of us from the ministry prayer team felt compelled at the end of the sermon just to come up on the stage and to lead the congregation in prayer in the time of dedication? Maybe we've got something the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us. And I said, that's awesome. That's awesome, because there's no reason why I have to do that at the end of every sermon. There's other parts of the body that are going to sense the call and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so we went and we talked about it. It needs to be done well, and the people who do it need to be qualified and tested and all of that good stuff, okay? So we've got some, some guardrails on that, but that's our vision is that the body of Christ become more and more engaged in carrying out the mission that Jesus has given to us. Now, Lisa, so the third thing that Jesus called us to do in Matthew 16 as a church, and that is to multiply churches. Multiply churches. So we go into verse 18, and Jesus says, And the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. 
we can see the picture by way of the screen. This is again in Caesarea Philippi. If we have the picture of the cave. We don't have that one. Okay. I can describe it to you. You go to Caesarea Philippi today and there is a cave. And that cave was called back then the Gates of Hades. And in that cave, they believed that the spirits of Baal would come in and out. They believed that spiritual forces of darkness that influenced the world, and in the pagan mind that was a positive thing, that that is something that they saw was right there. And Jesus, maybe standing in front of that cave, perhaps said that there are forces of spiritual darkness and that they are going to come against the mission of God. But when they do, they will not overcome it. It started on Monday. I get a phone call. I get a phone call, and man, something bad is happening. I come in on Tuesday. Another thing bad is happening, and another thing bad is happening, and another crisis, and another irritation, and another this, and this, and this, and this. And I'm kind of spinning, and I'm like, okay, this is not a coincidence. Crossroads is stepping out on mission, and somebody's not happy about it. And so on Wednesday morning at our staff meeting, when we get all five of us together, we talked about what was going on. We looked at the scriptures in 1 Peter 5, where Peter says that we are to humble ourselves, that we are to resist the devil, that he is to, and that he will flee from us when we go through a period of battle. And so we just humbled ourselves, and for a whole hour, we spent time repenting and humbling ourselves and praying and submitting ourselves to God and just allowing the attacks of the enemy to fly over is simply as God just takes Satan and swats him like a fly. Rather than getting caught up into the commotion and the deceptions of the enemy that can take place in a church, what a mature church does is that they go before the Lord, they humble themselves, they repent, they repent of their own sin, their own pride, and when that is done, Satan is defeated because we're fighting with the resources of the cross. Verse 19. Jesus says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys in the Jewish mind was the ability to interpret Scripture. That is the authority. That is our authority. It is in the Bible. And Jesus says, when you go to the Bible and you live according to the Word of God, carrying out what it says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You have influence over the spiritual destinies of whole regions of people that you are called to minister to. So what does it mean to multiply church? You think of Jesus saying, I want churches established right at the gates of hell, at the places of darkness. And so we've been on this Richmond outpost. We have others going on, and they started with prayer walking, and then they did the food pantry, developing relationships, and then they did the Thanksgiving event. We started to connect with people, and then we found some people to disciple, and we've been meeting with them every week, taking them through the stories of Jesus, having a meal together. We meet typically on a Wednesday night 
there in Richmond at Tommy or Judith's home. And it was about three, maybe four weeks ago, we were talking about the, the Love Your Community event. And they were asking the question, when we do the Love Your Community event, and people are asking from the community as they come to this, who is putting it on? What do we tell them? And Tommy looked at me and says, well, let's just tell them Crossroads Community Church. I said, I said well, no, 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 we don't want to do that. He says, well, why not? You guys are the ones helping us. I said, we are, and we love doing it. And anybody is welcome to come to our church. But we're 13 miles away. He says, our goal, our goal is not that Crossroads Community Church will be exalted and that our name will be out there, but rather that Jesus will be planted in Richmond and people will come to know Jesus and that there will be a distinctive place where Jesus is seen and planted in Richmond in a way that he's not in St. Clair. And so we want to help out, but we don't want our name to be on this. And so Tommy and I talked about this a little bit back and forth. And he says, okay, well, how about we give ourselves our own name? And I says, what about it? He says, well, what if we call ourselves Richmond Community Outreach? And I said, you've named your church. And so when he stood up there, he says, we're coming here on behalf of Richmond Community Outreach. They named that. And so we're multiplying, we're taking crossroads, and what we're doing is we're multiplying it into the places of darkness. Rather than trying to bring more and more people here, rather we're multiplying out into the harvest field. And so when we talk about in our mission, we want to multiply churches, we want to disciple people and see more people disciple people, so that then people coming together in communities, loving each other and following Jesus, becomes a rapid spreading reality that is dispersing the darkness and exalting the light of Jesus. Amen? Does that make any sense? That's what we're trying to do. So what does this mean practically? Well, we've said that we want 40% of our ministries to be engaged. We're going to continue to grow the ministries here of what we do at Crossroads. We love what we have, our kids, our youth, our small groups. This is not in competition, but it is rather taking so many unmet and unused resources and using them for the harvest field. We're at about 15% now. By the end of 2020, we want to be at 40%. Part of what this has looked like on a practical level, and we talked about this at our last annual business meeting, is that when you give to Crossroads, 10% of what we give goes to the mission field. And so we give 10%, we tithe it. But we looked at what we've been doing with the harvest fields, and we ourselves are not just outsourcing mission, but we are engaged in it. And so the executive leadership team says of that mission's money, we're going to take part of it and use it for outpost ministries. So when you saw the food, some of the foods that were there for the, the Valentine's event with the, um, with the Angel Tree Ministry or the Richmond event, part of that was funded through our missions giving here at Crossroads. It's a strategic change that we are making, but it is still directed towards mission. Vacation Bible School this year, Don went for some training down in Georgia. And she came across a ministry that has this portable vacation Bible school that you can just more easily and simply take out into the community. 
And so this year, we're going to be doing several vacation Bible schools in our outpost areas and discipling kids. And do you know what vacation Bible school was originally meant for? It drew all kinds of non-church kids into your church. It does that less so today than it used to do for several changing reasons. And so we've looked at this and we said, you know what, with our vacation Bible school, how about we take it to their outpost and disciple kids in those areas and use it as a means to draw people to know Jesus. I was in a meeting with John Beauchamp, our worship pastor you see leading every morning, Tom Alberti from our executive leadership team, and Jim Lowry from our executive leadership team, and I described the vision we have for our vacation Bible school. And as we prayed about it and talked about it, the sense was just electric between the four of us where we said, yes, this is what God is calling us to do, again, to make that 40% shift. In this year, we're going to be working on starting more outposts, but even more so with the outposts that are maturing like the ones in Richmond, we want to see those developed into self-sustaining ministries. And our goal is, is that those become mature as we raise up leaders there like Tommy and Judith and others we've been discipling, that they will be self-sustaining ministries and that they will go on and they will plant outposts in areas like Ormeda, and Chesterfield, so that the gospel continues to go on and on, just as Jesus said it should. He said, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then go into Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. We are now starting to work with other churches who are seeing what we are doing, and they're asking the question, how can we do that too? And so it's beginning to come contagious where a lot of churches says we're stuck and we want more of an outreach. Show us how to do that. A big thing I'll be working on, and this is internally, it's not directly related, but since the fall, God has put on my heart also to work on a, something called the Marriage Project. And I'm developing a team of people to develop strong marriages within our church so that we'll still be strong and grow here in that vital core family unit so that we'll continue to be strong to do what God has called us to do. But that is, I'm developing a team right now. Well, I want to call our ministry prayer team uh, to come up and our worship team right now. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, our ministry prayer team will be to the left of the sanctuary and can pray about any concern you may have. And I want to invite you to stand because we're going to close with a reading of a scripture. And the scripture we're going to read is the very last passage of scripture that I uh, had read and, and, and had uh, worked through at our last outpost in Richmond. And we were discipling people and we're calling them that the discipleship and following Jesus is not the first question, is not what's in it for me, but rather how do I... How do I sacrifice? How do I give my life for Jesus? How do I take up my cross? And we were saying, that's what Jesus calls you to do. It's not about what's in it for you. It's about how you follow and obey Jesus. And as we were talking about that, it was at the end of it, there just became this discussion about all the problems in the church. All of the negative things, all of the politics, all of the whatever. 
And as they were talking about them, as I was listening to them, I, I just say, hey, hey guys, you know, let's, let's kind of stop there. Because the light doesn't, the light scatters the darkness. It doesn't blame it. And I said, what about as a Richmond group here, Richmond Community Outreach, what if we did church the way Jesus called it to be done? How about instead of saying, oh, this church is wrong and that church is wrong and they've got this problem and they've got this problem. How about instead of cursing the darkness, we just be the light? How about we look at what Jesus called us to do and we do that, amen? How about Crossroads Community Church looks at what Jesus has called us to do and we do that? And that is enough to obey what Jesus said. And so in our closing, I'm going to read verses 21 to 23, and then together we'll read verses 24 to 25. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned. said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Together, please. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it.